if you're new to West Hills, my name is Thad Yessa. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open God's word for you this morning. You can be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, which is where we'll be spending our time. Uh, as you heard at the beginning, as we've lit the candles, that this is Advent season, and Advent means coming, where we take the four Sundays prior to Christmas to celebrate the coming of Christ. And what's unique about these passages that we're going to look at over these next four weeks is the kind of characters that God chose to use are not the characters that perhaps you or I would choose if we were writing the story of Jesus's coming. In other words, if we're writing the story or we're picking teams, we're likely to pick people who we feel are the best men and women, those who have the greatest skill sets, and we're going to assign them to the specific tasks that we want them to accomplish, that we want them successful. A couple weeks ago, there was a, a men's flag football game that went in. The two captains drafted teams, and they picked people who they thought were best equipped to play on their team, and they wanted the best team they could possibly have. But what we'll see is that in God's economy, in God's kingdom, or we can think about it as the upside-down kingdom, is God oftentimes picks people who you or I would not have picked to be on our team or to be written into the story. But in fact, God does this all throughout Scripture. He picks the least expected to accomplish his will and that is what he is doing in this particular passage that we are going to be looking at and why it's very appropriate for this advent series titled to be unheralded heralds meaning those who are not well proclaimed proclaiming good news and as we go through these next four weeks looking at these different characters i hope you resonate with them because they are People who are just like you and me, who have problems, who have difficulties, who have struggles. And I think sometimes when we get to the Christmas season, we it's more magnified our own sadness, struggles, difficulties that we face. And I think Diedrich Bonhoeffer gets it right when he describes Advent this way. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. That is where we find ourselves this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to gift you a Bible at the info bar. After the service, the text will also be up on the screen. Starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because 
Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the day when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, this morning as we look to your word, we ask that you would help us to understand, that you would give us wisdom, that you would open our eyes that perhaps maybe this morning we find ourselves in a similar position as Zechariah, doubting, discouraged, unanswered prayers, broken down. But Father, there is hope. And we pray that this morning that the truths of your working in our lives would shine through, that we would see that even though our circumstances may not seem bright, that you are working in a way to bring about your glory in ways that we could not fathom. We pray that you would work in our hearts this morning. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. So we meet this priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. They are righteous, as the scriptures say, that they are walking blameless in all the commandments and the statues of the Lord, and that they're really old, that they're advanced in years, and they're also 
childless. Now, it's important that as we start this first section of Luke that we understand that this was written to help give us context, to help us understand everything else that's going to be written in the Gospel of Luke. Popular religious thought at the time went like this, that God blesses the righteous. God's greatest blessing is children. If you are childless, there must be something wrong with you on levels only God can see. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth in this time period probably felt much shame and guilt and wondered why is God doing this to us? How come we, we cannot have a child. And I will just say that that is, in fact, not how it works, that God works in ways that we cannot understand. And our focus isn't as much on Elizabeth, which we'll cover next week, who felt much shame and guilt, and the weight of her being childless was placed upon her. But our focus this week is on Zechariah the priest. Oftentimes we have thoughts about ministry and being called to ministry even being called to be a pastor and we have an idea that it's about around a an individual response that at a young teenage years i felt god's calling on my life to do something in ministry and that calling was then confirmed by the church as they allowed me to exercise gifting and then at one point in the last two years west hills calling me to serve as one of their pastors. Well, in Zechariah's time, priesthood did not go like that. He didn't actually have a choice in the matter. He was a priest because his father and grandfather and great-grandfather were priests. His wife's relatives were priests as well. And when they had a family reunion, every male who was there was a priest. So no one asked Zechariah as he is growing up, hey, Zechariah, what is it that you want to do when you grow up? He was born into becoming a priest. Now, to give a little bit more context and to help us understand is there were around 20,000 priests in Israel at the time this gospel was written in only one temple. So to divide up the works, the priests would were organized into 24 ancestral divisions that served in Jerusalem twice a year for a week at a time, like military reserves. They were called up to active duty to do their certain tasks, and then they were relieved of that, that their duties were around feast days and their regular rotations of service. And Zechariah and his relatives would travel to Jerusalem when it was their time to consecrate themselves to prepare for the duties at hand. And when they would get to Jerusalem, they would get straight to work. There were many jobs to be done, all overseen by the high priests. Some of those jobs were quite lowly and mundane. Others, however, carried a certain prestige with it. A single priest was selected daily by lot, so picture pulling a name out of a hat, and that's how they determined who would get to offer the incense at the hour of prayer and that the faithful would gather around for a time of prayer in the temple courts and as the incense billowed up into the air the prayers of the people would also billow up in the air going towards heaven and the chosen priest would represent all the people would enter into the holy place and burn the fragrant spices as 
prescribed in the law of Moses. Once you have this opportunity to do this specific task that we read about Zechariah doing, your name was never included in the selection process again. Uh, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and in fact, some priests would go their whole entire time of service as priests, and they would never have the opportunity to do this particular task. And the temple itself was designed to inspire awe that as beautiful and as magnificent as it was, it was to remind the people that God is so much more beautiful and magnificent than that. So we enter into our story, and Zechariah is praying in this holy place, and suddenly he realizes that he is not alone. And perhaps you're familiar with this, that you're in a, a particular room, or you're working, or you're really focused on that task, and suddenly you realize, you feel something, that there's this other presence around you. And most recently for me, it looked like my two-year-old daughter sneaking into our bedroom at four o'clock in the morning and as i'm sleeping I'm like something is not right and i open my eyes and there she is and she goes i need to go potty and so i helped her but like while i'm in my sleep i felt as though something was there and zechariah recognized like something is not right as i'm burning this incense and the old man was scared out of his mind and sometimes we especially around christmas time we see these pictures and paintings of angels and they look nice and beautiful with their curly hair, but angels must be hideous-looking creatures because the first words out of their mouths are always, don't be afraid. <laughs> and the angel later identifies as Gabriel, announces to Zechariah that his long-awaited answer to prayer has been heard by Yahweh, that God has heard his prayer and is going to answer it for Zechariah. And he doesn't just do that. He gives Zechariah a whole bunch of information about the events that are going to follow his meeting with Zechariah there to the time his future son would be born. He says, hey, Elizabeth will bear a son. His name will, is supposed to be John. He will cause them great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. He's not to drink any wine or strong drink his whole life because he's to be consecrated to God. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He will turn many in Israel back to Yahweh. He will go before the Messiah in spirit and power of Elijah and the prophets of old. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. He will turn the disobedient to wisdom of the just. He will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so that's a whole lot of information. Gabriel doesn't just say like, hey, you're going to have a son. He gives him the pregnancy announcement, the gender reveal, the birth announcement, the naming, the upbringing, the career, the results, all rolled into one. He says, hey, I'm going to lay everything out for you so you know fully what to expect. This is probably the same type of rundown of future events that you wish that God would give you, that he would say like, hey, here's everything for you. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell it all to you. But oftentimes, God doesn't do that for us. He doesn't list out for us, hey, go to this school, get this job, marry this person, have children at this point, retire at this point, move to the city. In fact, oftentimes God just says, hey, trust me, and I will work things out for your good and my glory. And Gabriel tells 
Zechariah the best news that he's been waiting for all along, and it's twofold. It's one, that they're going to have a son, and two, that the long-awaited Messiah is coming. Now, if you're familiar with the Christmas story at all, you're most likely familiar with Mary. Zechariah, probably not as much as you are Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men. Do you recall what Mary's response was when the angel came and told her about her birth? I'm thinking at that moment she probably had questions, legitimate questions about the virgin birth, the Holy Spirit conception, and all these things, and how is it going to work? But she simply says, I am the Lord's servant. Be it unto me as you have said. Essentially, Hey, whatever God wills, that's what I will do. Zechariah's response from our reading is different than that. It's, how can I be sure of this? He says, I'm, I'm an old man. My wife is just as old as I am. How can this possibly be true? Zechariah is asking for a sign. He wants more of an assign than an angel appearing before him in the holy place where only one person is supposed to be says, I need something more than that. Because for, for many years, he and Elizabeth have been praying for a child. He's like, now? Now is the moment? How can I know this is going to be true? He probably thought slightly that like, this is just, it's too good to be true. And in Jesus' day, most Jews believed for more than 400 years that the Holy Spirit had, been, had not been active in Israel because there had been no prophets since Malachi. And Israel is now under captivity of the Romans and things aren't going very well. How can it be that the Messiah who's going to make all these wrong things right is coming now? But now, once again in this story, God visits his people. Here is God speaking to the priest who had been waiting for such good news for a long time, who should have been waiting eagerly to hear of the Messiah coming. A priest who probably everyone is like, that guy doesn't love God. God hasn't given him a child yet. Or what are the chances that this guy here now would be picked that his lot would be cast and he would get to go into the holy place and so he doubts perhaps it's due to seeing an angel and just being taken aback and not really sure how to respond or the years of unanswered prayer regardless gabriel gives him a response and i'm sure he he takes a deep breath thinking how can you want more of a sign than an angel appearing before you and he takes a deep breath and goes, I am Gabriel, which to Zechariah, that would have meant some important things that Gabriel's the messenger of God, that he appears in books like Daniel and Ezekiel. He says, I am the archangel and the guardian spirit of Israel. And in fact, I just came from the very presence of God. That shine, that glow you see on me is the residual Shekinah glory from standing before God's holiness where I receive specific instructions that I am to visit you today, Zechariah. And he goes, but because you have not believed, you shall be unable to speak 
until this word is fulfilled. I think it's really interesting that God, who seemingly has not been active, but we know he has been active and working throughout this 400-year period that he now speaks and he speaks to Zechariah, and because of his disbelief, he says, you know what, there's going to be silence just a little bit longer that, hey, I've given you the best news that Israel has been longing for since their creation, and you can't tell anyone yet. You can't go home and tell your wife, we're having a baby. She'll eventually figure that out. (laughs) But you're going to have to wait longer to tell everyone else about this coming Messiah. And from the perspective of those praying in the temple courts, the incense offering was taking much longer than it was supposed to take. I'm sure his relatives acknowledging how old he is is like, I hope he didn't drop the incense. He's not as young as he used to be. I hope he didn't forget what he's supposed to be doing in there, that people are starting to to worry. It'd be like a Sunday morning, we, we sang all the songs, and Pastor Brian prays, and Pastor Will's about to step up on stage, and like, he's nowhere to be found. They're like, I'm sure everyone start looking around like, what are we supposed to do? We've already sung the songs, and now's the time for the sermon. And they're like, what's going on? And then Zechariah appears, unable to speak. It says that he does signs. I don't even know what those would look like to illustrate that I've seen an angel and he's told me all these good news. He's probably like signaling planes to come down and all these things. And they realize like something crazy happened in there that he must have seen a vision. We need to ask ourselves is why does the gospel of Luke start with this story? As I referenced earlier that many of us are familiar with the Christmas story. And when we think, hey, can someone tell the Christmas story? We'll say, you know, it's Mary and Joseph and they have a baby and they have the baby in the manger and the shepherds come and then the wise men come and all these things. But like Zachariah is not like the first name that pops into mind when we think about the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus. I think he he does this for for four particular reasons. And first is to remind us that God is bigger than our circumstances. Is when our eyes are on our problems, in this case, Zachariah's old age, we will not receive God's word or trust God's power. Because in those moments when we're so focused on whatever the problem, the difficulty, the circumstance is, we struggle because we're, we can't think that our problems are really great and, and really powerful, whatever it is, and also that God's power is really great at the same time because we'll either exalt one a little bit more than the other. And in trying to exalt our problems like, you think you have it bad, let me tell you about all the difficulties that I'm facing And then say that, but God is super powerful. You can't do that because that's like Jesus saying, hey, you can't serve money and God at the same time. You cannot have two masters. You simply cannot do it. 
Sometimes we can be so focused on our problems that we can't hear God's promises and we fail to believe God's power. When our eyes are on our problems, we won't remember God's word, how it applies to us. Zechariah, remember, he's a priest, so he knows the ancient scrolls. He knows what they say, and he doesn't remember Abraham in Genesis 17, where Abraham was in this exact same situation where an angel appears before him, and he has been wanting a son, and he and his wife are far too old, and God gave Abraham and Sarah a son when they were nearly a hundred years old. Zechariah should have remembered God's word. He should have remembered God's promises, but he was so focused on his own personal limitations that he couldn't see God's power. That he was like, there's no way that, that God could, could do that. There's no way God's going to give us this. It sounds too good to be true, but he forgot that God is more powerful than we can ever think or imagine. And secondly, related to that is that God is faithful even when we are not. We have a clear example in this that, that Zechariah is, he's doubting. He's like, how is this going to happen? How can this be? How can this come to pass? But he's not exhibiting faithfulness in that specific moment by asking that question. When in fact, if he was thinking clearly, he would have known that the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was promised, planned, and prepared by God out of his faithfulness to Israel, not Israel's faithfulness to God. That the faithful Israel were made ready for the coming of the Messiah, that if we read through the Old Testament, we just read story after story about how Israel forgets the commands of God, or Israel disobeys the commands of God, or Israel loves other idols more than they love God, and they are not faithful. But even in that, God says, hey, I'm not changing my plan. I promise that I am going to send a Savior, and he's going to come through the line of Israel, and it is going to come to pass. And it's people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna that we're covering in the next weeks. And the people who come out to hear John the Baptist, that they were once who received the good news of Jesus and they believed. And I think this speaks more about God's character to us. Something that we need to remember is that God is a promise-keeping God. That he does not abandon his covenant to Israel. That he is fulfilling his promises and he's using the most unlikely of characters. An old priest who's having a moment of doubt. He says, hey, I'm going to bring you a son. And he isn't just going to be the son that you wanted. He's going to be so much better. He's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. He's going to tell everyone that the Messiah is coming. And fourthly, it is that God hears our prayers. I think of scripture passages like 1 Peter 3.12 that say, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins 
to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. Or later on in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18 where Jesus teaches that we are to be like the persistent widow who came before the judge asking for justice and eventually the judge goes, you know what, I am so sick and tired of you coming to me asking for justice. I'll just do what you want so you'll leave me alone. He says, how much more is your heavenly father who wants good things for you going to hear your prayers? That's why Jesus says in Luke 18, 1, that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And I'm sure there were moments in Zachariah's life where he was like, I'm not even sure if it's really worth it anymore to keep praying to God and not seeing an answer to my request. Or perhaps maybe that's you this morning, that there's this, this burden on your heart that you've been praying about for a long time and God doesn't seem to be working or answering and it feels like he's been silent in this situation. Friends, when you remember that, God is a good God. And this is demonstrated in the way that God goes out of his way to bless Zechariah and Elizabeth. God could have brought John the Baptist into the world any way that he wanted it, any way that he wanted to. But it pleased God most to bless this faithful couple who had prayed for so long, who are now so old past child-bearing age, who has probably been shamed by family and society, and he says, you will have joy and gladness. And them having joy and gladness was not essential to John's mission, but it was an extra gift from God that he was going to take their sorrow and sadness and replace it with joy and gladness, something they couldn't even have fathom that not only a son, but a son who's going to do great things for God's kingdom. And this is just another version of the pronouncement of Jesus that peace on earth, goodwill to man, that God is for us. He is not against us as we sung earlier. We need to remember that prayer is one of those powerful things that we need to marry to God's divine purpose, that we think about how Jesus taught his disciples to pray for your kingdom come, God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we weave our needs into God's kingdom as we pray, always to keep God's kingdom in mind, that if you need finances, financial help, that you frame it in the context of the kingdom and you say, God, I want you to take care of my needs, not just so that I am taken care of, but so that I can be a blessing to your kingdom and others. Or perhaps in praying for you, how your health, you weave that into God's kingdom. You say, God, I am asking you for new health and new strength so that I can use that strength to glorify your name and to serve your people and to use my gifting and to proclaim your goodness to everyone. Jesus said, when you put God's kingdom first, that God will take care of your needs. 
and just look at how God is meeting the needs of Zechariah and Elizabeth, even as he is preparing to bring salvation into the world. That God says, hey, I, I heard you all those many years of asking. He said, I was not turning a deaf ear to you, but I was attentively listening. And he does this because, fourthly, faithfulness in the ordinary matters. You see that God sees Zachariah's faithfulness in the ordinary, that he did not betray the faith. Yes, he had that moment of doubting that God was going to work in such a spectacular way that he was going to give him a son. But we read that Zechariah, even though he may not have had the greatest faith, even in the face of an angelic visitation, that he was faithful, that he was there serving in the temple, faithfully offering the incense, that God meets us on our road to faithfulness, that this vision came to Zechariah as he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He was going to work, serving faithfully, offering the incense. And if you could put yourself in this couple's shoes, or maybe you find yourself in this couple's shoes, this couple's shoes of wanting a child. He, they could have given up a long time ago. They could have looked at all their disappointments and said, you know, it, it's just not worth it to trust Yahweh anymore. But we read that they were blameless and that they were righteous and that they kept being faithful in the ordinary tasks that God had called them to. Just as God calls you and me to serve faithfully in whatever context that is as a student, as a child, as a mom, as a co-worker, as a business person, as whatever position God has put you in. He has not put you in those positions by accident. And the encouragement we get from this text is to keep praying, keep serving, keep witnessing, keep giving, keep trusting God. And what I am not saying is that if you do those things that the angel Gabriel is going to appear to you. But what I am saying is that on the road to faithfulness, on the road of faithfulness, is where your answers are going to come from. And sometimes those answers don't look like what we want them to be. Sometimes the answers we receive from God are really hard to hear. What we need to remember is that God puts us in situations so that he is most glorified and most magnified in working through us. That even in our greatest disappointments, that God can use those moments for his glory, just as he did for Zechariah. There's so much in this story about God's perfect timing, that Zechariah's group of priests, the brotherhood, was called up to serve the temple, that his name happened to be cast in the lots, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and that God in that moment was like, I'm going to use this person, the least likely, and I'm going to give him a son, and that son's going to declare the greatest message of all that Jesus has come. It reminds me of what Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, to let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we 
do not give up. And that's just my encouragement to you to keep being faithful. If we do the ordinary stuff with an eye to God's kingdom and glory, God will do extraordinary things. Sometimes we, we feel like we need to produce some sort of wow factor for God. But that's God's department. God doesn't need us to, to make something big and impressive for the world to look on. What God needs from us is to be faithful in the ordinary, faithful in the other day. Our part is faithfulness, the wow factor in God's miraculous working. That's for him to work out. And so you may be wondering as we're 30-ish minutes into the sermon, is what does this really have to do with Christmas? And I might say Christmas, and some of you might be like, oh, Christmas, it's busy, there's parties and presents and stressful and anxious. Sometimes it's nostalgic, and there's traditions, and then there's the message of Christmas, the, the coming of the Messiah that we hear year over year that Jesus is coming, that the birth of the Christ child, the unfolding of the mystery of the Trinity the incarnation of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We read this story, and perhaps you do ask that question, is what does this have to do really with Christmas if it's not really about Jesus, if it's about Zachariah and his son? Well, if you skip to verse number 67, what happens just before that is John the Baptist is born. And the words out of Zechariah's mouth after he adamantly declares that his son is going to be named John. And it says, and his father, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, meaning John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of his salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadows of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You see, we need to ask the question, is what is our response to Christmas? How is it that we think about this passage in light of the Christmas story that God has sent Jesus, that Jesus 
was born of a virgin, that he did live a perfect life, that he did die on the cross for our sins, that he did raise again, and he did it to offer salvation for you and me despite our unfaithfulness. What does this have to do with Christmas? It should bring about a desire to herald the message that Jesus Christ has come. That when we think of the Christmas season, although parties are great and getting together with relatives is fun and all these other things, that we cannot lose sight of the Christmas message. That God is with us. That Jesus came to die for us. That although Zechariah is really this unheralded herald, not super well-known, not pronounced, not like John the Baptist was, not like Mary was, not like Joseph was, not like the shepherds were, but he heralded the message of God in this moment. That when he could finally speak again, remember, he, he'd been silent from that moment in the temple until the birth of his son, and maybe that was a blessing to Elizabeth, but he was silent, and the first things out of his mouth that he's declaring is, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. His response to the Christmas story is to tell everyone that Jesus has come. And friends, that is what we are called to do. We are called to be unheralded heralds. I can tell you, no one in the history of my life is going to write a book about me and talk about the great things that I have done. In fact, I would love to go my entire life as really just this unknown person apart from those of you who are here at West Hills, and I could be content because it's not about making my name great. It's about making God's name great and glorifying him in what he has done. And so what is our response to Christmas? Our response to Christmas is, blessed be God who sent Jesus to die for such wicked and sinful people, not because we had anything good to offer, but simply because he set his love upon us, that we are called to be unheralded heralds, just like Zechariah.